Many years ago, Riley Knight completed a degree in history. This proved to be a bad move, as it was absolutely useless for him. Until now, here's some half-assed history. What's going on, mate? Great to have you along for some more Half-Assed History. This week on the agenda, going to be having a chat about William Buckley. I've had a fair few listeners uh, ask for a bit more Australian history, so I'll tell you what, here at Buddy Comes, mate, strap yourselves in. If you're Australian, um, you've probably heard the phrase, uh, you've got Buckley's chance, mate. And a lot of people reckon this 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 phrase uh, actually originated with the story of this bloke, William Buckley. He was a convict, right? He was a convict. He got sent to Australia in the early 19th century for, uh, for nicking some cloth, of all things. Uh, and he actually managed to escape from the penal colony uh, there that it was there in Victoria. Or it was part of, New, part of New South Wales at the time. Victoria as a colony didn't exist at this stage. But uh, obviously still, still bloody Victoria. Still the greatest place on earth, mate. Still the greatest place on earth. Um and more, more broadly, the, the whole transportation as a convict thing, it sort of brings up a question that I've asked several times before on this podcast. Why the bloody hell would anyone think that being transported to Australia is a punishment? It's beautiful weather, beautiful beaches, bloody barbecues in the sun, game of cricket in the park. Bloody beautiful, mate. I don't know why anyone is thinking of going to Australia is any kind of punishment. But in any case, sure enough, Buckley gets sent off to Australia. He's buggered off from the prison camp and he goes bush. And after escaping, he went and lived. With the locals, he went and lived with the uh, with the Wadawurrung people uh, who lived around sort of modern day Geelong out there on the on the west side of Melbourne. And there's all sorts of adventures there, and uh, and that's what we're going to chat about today. So let's get to it and discover what this bloke was all about. And uh, to do that, we're going to go all the way back here, all the way back to 1780, all the way back to 1780 when young William was born. Now. I suppose I should uh, should preface this whole show by saying that even from the outset here, there's, there's a little bit of uncertainty uh, about some of the finer details when it comes to this bloke's life, quite generally. We've got a few first-hand sort of biographical accounts to go by. In his older years, he uh, he helped. Well, he, did, he couldn't write. He was, he was illiterate his entire life, but he, uh, he he dictated the story of his life to a biographer who, uh, who wrote a lot of this down. There's another account that was written about his life as well. And there's, there's a fair bit of contradictory stuff in both of these accounts about his life. And, uh, you know, there's, there's even talk that it was perhaps even these accounts were embellished in order you know to sell more copies or whatever else so we've got to use our best judgment when we're figuring all this sort of stuff out but you know what we're going to talk about today again just our sort of best guess of uh, of the truth of the of the matter here although again not a guarantee that anything is 100 percent accurate anyway what is accurate, he's definitely born in 1780, 100% that he's born in that year, but we're not 100% sure where. Uh, could have been in a village called Martin or a village called Macclesfield, but uh, as sure as anything, he's somewhere in Cheshire in, in the UK. We know he's born there. He's born to a woman named Eliza Buckley, uh, and he's got three other siblings, two brothers, a little sister there as well. Um, and as a young bloke, he you know, grows up as a pretty normal childhood and grows up uh, and, and he becomes a, uh, a brickie. He becomes an apprentice to a bricklayer there. Um, but uh, this job doesn't last long. He's not a huge fan of it, uh, however. And so before the end of the century, before he's, uh, he's 20 years of age, he's joined the army to go and give that bloody Napoleon up. And oh, he's bloody up to his usual tricks, that sort of thing. And so uh, he's uh, our mate Buckley has decided to go and give uh, give Napoleon a hiding. So he enlists in the King's Foot Regiment. Now, I don't know why the King's Feet specifically needed regiments, but our mate Buckley is up and about. He's ready to give the French what for. Uh, he's actually transferred from the King's Foot to the King's Own. Again, I don't know what these bloody regiment names are going. I don't know what's really going on with them. But uh, in any case, he shipped off to the Netherlands to fight old mate Napoleon there. Now, unfortunately, he gets injured. He gets a, he gets quite a bad injury, a hand injury, uh, and as a result, he's set back to sent back to Britain before long, where he's he's you know there to recover and be treated or whatever. He's recovering in the barracks there. 
And it's there that one day he gets into a bit of trouble. According to uh, Buckley, in a, in a later account, that again, that he, he gave to his biographer many years later, what happened, right, was this, right? So he's walking around. He's, he's kicking about in the uh, in the barracks there. And a woman, a woman come up to him and he says, listen here, big fella. Uh, oh, by the way, sorry, I didn't give you the physical description of William Buckley. He was enormous, this bloke. He was huge. He was about two metres tall. Huge big bloke he was. Big, muscly, big, tall fella. Um, and quite ugly as well by several accounts. But, you know, whatever. Uh, anyway, so, yeah. So she says to him, listen here, big fella. Jeez, bloody hell. Put a bloody paper bag on that head, I reckon. But could you give me a could you give me a hand very quickly? Just uh, would you mind help me out here with uh, this bloody big heavy bolt of cloth that I got here? Would you mind just carrying it for me? And he goes, Oh, duh, no, no worries at all. Where, where do you need me to bung it for you? I'll, I'll take care of it. No worries. And she goes, Oh, just over there, mate. My mate's waiting for it. Uh, Going to make some clothes out of something. I don't know. Anyway, but yeah, thanks. Good on you, mate. Yeah, bloody big help. Good. Cheers. Yeah, yeah, thanks for that. Anyway, so he's carrying this cloth about when he's stopped by some of the other soldiers, and they go, hang on, he, he, one second there, Buckley, old son, where'd you get that big thing of cloth? You've, you've bloody nicked that, haven't you? Now, Buckley, obviously, he, he protests his innocence. He goes, no, 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 boys, that, that chick over there, she's, she's giving, she, you know, she give it to me, no worries at all, just take it to her mate. No, fellas, don't, yeah, don't, don't even worry about it. But they are having none of it. He's actually locked up as a thief, and he goes in front of a judge in 1802, now, if you'll believe it, this is how harshly stuff like this was punished way back then. Poor old Buckley, he's done. He's done for transporting stolen goods. He's, he's, he's convicted of uh, willingly accepted stolen, uh, stolen goods there. And uh, as a result, he's sentenced to 14 years transportation. 14 years in a... Well, that's actually... Wait, hang on. Sounds great. Free trip to Australia. Mate, if I'd been around... I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. If I'd been around in those days, I'd be bloody, I'd be bloody nicking enough cloth to sew a circus tent together get me over to australia quick bloody smart mate don't even worry about it anyway he's done for it and uh, like so many of the people at the time he's loaded onto a convict ship to be sent over onto the other side of the world now obviously the the from what we know about the uh, you know the, the voyages they took months and months and they weren't very pleasant indeed but uh, the ship he's on the hms calcutta it's headed for a planned settlement site uh, in port phillip bay called sullivan bay just near modern day sorrento so beautiful part of the world there and the ship leaves in 1803 in april 1803 arrives a couple of months later in october uh, uh, and again, presumably, uh, we don't know a lot about this specific voyage. Presumably wasn't a lot of fun for, for Buckley and the rest of the convicts. But the rest of the convicts, along with Buckley, they arrive on the ship. They're forced to start working on establishing this new settlement in Sullivan Bay. Now, here's the thing. The settlement, absolute bloody disaster it is. It's terrible. There's no fresh water. The soil is rubbish. They can't grow anything in it. And before long, the blokes who are in charge of this entire operation. They're starting to talk about packing it up and moving on. They reckon they're just going to chuck in the towel on Sullivan Bay because they just can't get it functioning in the way that I, that they wanted it to. So it's a bit of a bit of a dudski there for the old, uh, you know, for the for the people trying to set up uh, set up shop down there. The uh, obviously the the rumor mill is is working overtime at this point, and the, and the convicts actually hear about uh, these rumours of, of, of packing up the settlement, but where, where they really start to panic, because it emerges, what happens here? It emerges that the, uh, the, the, the knobs, the people in charge, they're thinking of shifting to Van Diemen's Land, or as it's known today, bloody Tasmania. I mean, Buckley is not the only person who's going, bloody bugger that for a joke. I'd rather, rather you took me all the way back to England, chuck me in one of them bloody overcrowded prisons. I'd, I'd go and live in the bush by myself. Anything but bloody Tasmania. Flip it hell, I don't want to go and live there. And I'll tell you this, he's not the only one who feels this way, rightly so, but very obviously. I mean, come on. I mean, yeah, free trip to Australia, fantastic. Trip to Tasmania, whoa, no, thank you. Anyway, um, a sm- <laughs> so I'm very sorry. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know why I come, so, I come down so hard on all the Tasmanians. I got an email from a Tasmanian listener who was like, bloody hell, come on, mate. I mean, fair go. It's, it's, you know, it's difficult enough us walking around with our two heads and whatever else. It's difficult. You know, you, you, they get twice as offended because each head gets offended by the comments you make. Anyway, um. Uh, he's not the only one. Buckley's not the only one who doesn't want to go to Tasmania. 
And so him and a, uh, a small gang of convicts, right, they start to plan their escape from Sullivan Bay before uh, before everyone, you know, packs up and moves off, uh, off to Van Diemen's Land. So the story goes, the story goes that on Christmas Eve in 1803, Buckley and a couple of his mates, uh, they know that the officers in the guards and that they're going to get on the source and be pissed as chooks uh, as the night continues. And so they reckon that they'll t- that's their time, right, to sneak into the supplies and nick all the stuff that they'll need to escape. And sure enough, it goes off without a hitch. While the uh, while the others are all sort of you know down on the froffies out there having a good time partying in the you know like in the in a beautiful Christmas summer heat there, Buckley and the rest of them they creep about. They blag stuff like a kettle, a gun, some boots, medical supplies, all sorts of stuff like that, and they make ready to uh, to uh, you know to, to, to have this escape, this escape attempt. And a couple of days later, they're ready to uh, ready to sneak off, and they get together, they get all their gear, and they're making their plan, you know, drawing a, a little map in the dust and talking about how they're going to run off into the bush. And then they try to sneak off away from the away from this little penal colony, away from this little settlement that's been set up, and it's quickly failing, right? And they run, they run, run, run off into the bush as quick as they can go. But oh no, bloody disaster! They are spotted as they're running away, and the guards start shooting at them. Now one of the convicts, this bloke, this bloke named Charles Shaw, he gets shot, and he's so badly injured that he doesn't escape. But Buckley and two others, they make it away safely and they disappear into the bush. So these blokes, they're cutting about. They can't believe their luck. They're happy, you know, living off uh, living off the land there as, as best they can there in the, around the, uh, the the eastern coast of, um, of Port Phillip Bay. And uh, as I say, in the, uh, cutting about the untamed wilderness, uh, eating fish, shellfish, plants, whatever else they can find, no worries at all. Well, actually, no, that, that's not, there was very much yes worries, in fact. There are actually a fair few worries as it happens because they're making their way north around the eastern edge of the of the bay towards modern-day central Melbourne. That's where Melbourne was set up at the northern end of, uh, this, this would be very helpful during this story, generally, if you've got a, a vague area of what uh, central southern uh, uh, Victoria looks like here. But, but Melbourne, right at the, the northern end of this enormous big bay, Port Phillip Bay there, and they're making their, their way towards that. Obviously, Melbourne doesn't exist. It's all just, uh, it's all just wilderness at this stage. But they're heading out this way and they're not having a good time of it. They're constantly hungry. They don't have a lot of food and they're worried about the local indigenous people in case they don't turn out to be too friendly. And so they're doing their best to avoid any contact with Aborigines in the, you know, in the area. Now, this whole situation, it ends up taking a fair bit of a toll on Buckley's mates. Buckley's doing fine. He's loving life. But the other two, they finally decide that enough is enough after a while. They come to Buckley and they say, listen, mate, we've had it. We've, actually, we just, we, we've had it up to the back teeth here. We've had enough of it. We don't want to live in the bush anymore. We want to go back to European settlement somewhere. And we've just, I, I reckon it's time to chuck in the towel and, and, and head back. Now, again... There's a little bit of disagreement uh, amongst the sources that I read here uh, as to where they actually want to go. One of the sources say they want to turn around and head back to Sullivan's Bay, while the other one, it said that they had this hilarious idea instead of walking to Sydney, which they which they knew was to the northeast, but obviously had no idea of exactly how far it is. And this is, I mean, this is actually, you know, they didn't think it was that far to go, which is pretty bloody typical of newcomers to Australia. I remember I've, I've had several conversations with people, you know, people who were planning to visit Australia or, you know, heading over there for some time. And they, I always find it so hilarious because they say stuff like, oh, yeah, you know, we're going to go to Melbourne, going to Sydney, you know, Brisbane, Great Barrier Reef. Might, might pop over to Uluru quickly, you know, all the usual stuff, all the touristy stuff like that. And I go, okay, yeah, sure, that sounds great. Yeah, really good. So ha- how long are you going there for? And they go, Oh yeah, about a about a week and a half. It's like, mate, what are you what are you thinking? You got a week and a half. You're going to travel three and a half thousand kilometres in ten days, and that's not even including the six thousand kilometre return trip to Uluru. Australia is massive. Australia is so bloody big. We talk about sort of Melbourne and Adelaide being close to each other. They're still 700 kilometres away from each other. And I think a lot of people, including these these daft idiots, if they're wanting to walk to Sydney, they don't realise just how big Australia is. And so, anyway, look. 
regardless of whether these blokes reckon they're going to go back to Sullivan's Bay or walk the thousand or so kilometres to Sydney, they've made up their minds, right? So regardless of which way they're going in, you know, they, they have, they've decided that they've, they've, give up on the, they've given up on the bush and they try to persuade Buckley to come with them, right? And he is having none of it. He has no intention of going back to being a convict. He had this to say in a later biography. He said, <clears throat> to all their entreaties to accompany them, I turned a deaf ear, being determined to endure every kind of suffering rather than again surrender my liberty. So these two blokes, obviously Buckley is not going to—he's not going to move an inch. He's not going to budge. He wants to live out in the wilderness there rather than go back to being a convict. And so these blokes—they go off on their own. They go off on their own. And at this point, I'll tell you this: rather spookily, I guess they disappear altogether from the history books. We have no idea what happened to them. Maybe they made it back down to Sullivan's Bay in time. Maybe they died in the wilderness somewhere. Maybe they are still walking to Sydney even today. They should be there soon if that's the case. Anyway, anyway, you slice it. Buckley, he's now on his own. He's now absolutely, completely by himself in the middle of the Australian bush, and he continues to make his way towards the west around the northern part of the bay there. That's where, obviously, obviously as I say, where Melbourne is uh, today. He's going about living off the land, and he's keeping himself to himself. He meets a few of the locals. He meets a few of the Aboriginal people, but generally he tries to steer clear and minds his own business. He he meets an Aboriginal family at one point who he hangs, there, hangs around with for a while. They share their food with him and teach a bit of the, uh, bit of the lingo there. But uh, before long, he's back off on his own, and he seems to prefer it this way, to be honest. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't seem to mind just sort of minding his own P's and Q's and just kicking about by himself. And while he's walking around at some point earlier on in his, uh, in his adventures, he, uh, he discovers an Aboriginal gravesite, right, at one point, uh, where someone had left this great big bloody spear as a grave marker. Now, Buckley has a look at the spear. He goes, oh, geez, that's a fine bloody specimen. That is, well, I'll tell you what, this bloke is in the ground. He doesn't need it anymore. He doesn't need it at all. He's not using it for anything. Bit of a waste to just leave it there. I reckon I'll take it with me, take this bloody great big spear with me. It'll be very useful indeed. So... After having this spear and, you know, doing, having all these other little bits and pieces, wandering around, living off the land, as I say, he's, he's covered a fair bit of ground. He's made it all the way around a modern-day Aries Inlet. That's a walk of over 200 kilometres around the bay. So a fair bloody trot, you'd have to say here. He's mucking about like this for, if you'll believe it, over a year. Over a year, just living out in the bush like he said he would, wandering about with his spear and what have you and having a, having a good time. But as I say, around a year after his escape, he runs into a group of Aboriginals from the local Wadawurrung tribe here. Now, I mentioned this tribe beforehand. These are, this is the, the Wadawurrung people. They, they, they sort of, they occupied, they lived in this area around uh, Geelong, uh, the Bellarine Peninsula, almost out to Ballarat. So sort of uh, southwest to the west of, uh, of Melbourne town there. Now, uh, these Wadawurrung people, they are bloody thrilled to see Buckley. Obviously, they've never met him before in their life, but all the same, they're inviting back to the camp. Bloody slaps on the back. Camp. Oh, mate, so good to see you. Bloody fantastic. It's been so long. What's going on? All that sort of stuff. They can't get enough of this bloke. Buckley later learned that this was because he's walking about with this spear, right? And the Wadawurrung people thought that he was a reincarnated spirit of the bloke who they'd buried and used the spear as a, as a, as a grave marker. They reckoned that this spirit had been reincarnated, picked up his faithful spear, and then come back, right, to the tribe there to be, you know, to rejoin, uh, to rejoin this community. So a bit of bloody good luck for our mate Buckley, as the tribe is very bloody keen on the bloke. They accept him back in, no worries at all. And uh, he learned to hunt and he learns to fish using spears to kill roos and all, all that sort of stuff for his dinner and apparently he gets bloody good at it don't forget he's two meters tall this bloke is a giant very strong bloke indeed so he's going around he's, he's having a great time hunting and fishing and and living the life of uh, you know the traditional aboriginal people who are living there like that he also learned their language he learned how to speak uh, you know the, the the language of the wadawurrung people and uh, he, he later talked about how he felt like he was forgetting how to speak english because obviously he had no one to speak it with he's speaking the local language there 
And he even even settled down with a couple of the uh, a couple of the women from the Wadawurrung uh, tribe. He had a couple of wives there, uh, and even had a little daughter with one of them as well, and everything. So he's having, he's having a great time. He's settled in like there's no tomorrow. He's really enjoying himself. And if you believe it, Buckley ends up living like life like this with the Wadawurrung people for the next thirty two years. He spends over three decades living out there in the middle of the, you know, in the middle of what is essentially an untamed wilderness as far as the European settlers are concerned. But he's having a great time. He's loving life, living with the Wadawurrung people, you know, fishing, hunting, doing all the all that sort of stuff there like that. And as the years pass, he actually becomes a tribal elder. He's, uh, he, you know, he's, he becomes one of the one of the respected elders of the uh, of the tribe there. He's advising the Wadawurrung on, on conflicts and tribal wars and the like, although he wasn't, interestingly, he wasn't allowed to fight in any of these intertribal conflicts there um, uh, because, you know, he was obviously very good with the spear. He's chucking it at ruse and spear and fish and doing all the, all the other stuff. The Wadawurring, uh, they banned him from actually fighting against any, any of the other tribes because he was, you know, this greatly respected uh, spirit reincarnation. They didn't want to, uh, to risk him on the battlefield there, so they didn't let him fight. Anyway, but for the most part, for the most part, right, Buckley's experience as, as, as you know one of the uh, one of the blokes in the and the Wadawurrung tribe was was very peaceful and and historically like from a historical perspective historically speaking very boring not a lot of stuff happened he didn't get up to much he's just spending over three decades living a normal enough life with this indigenous tribe and obviously this is a very far removed experience from anything else that he's done in his life and an extremely unique thing for a uh, for a European to do but all the same he seems to be very happy to do it and it's it's not for three decades until there's a, a big change in his life but it does all come to an end as i say 32 years later in 1835 specifically on the 6th of july now i'll tell you what happened what happened was this right a uh, a, a scouting party a, a wadawurring scouting party they come back to the camp and they come up to buckley and say listen mate we've just spotted right big old ship down in uh, down down the beach there like that and a group of uh, a group of a group of settlers, group of European settlers, there. They've got a couple of Aboriginals with them as well. They're out there on the uh, on the what, what what would later today it's known as the as the Bellarine Peninsula near Geelong, and uh, and they're out there three of these uh, these European settlers, and they've got uh, they've got a, a couple of Aboriginal blokes with them as well. Now Buckley at this stage he hasn't seen another European for three decades, thirty two years since he's seen as you know he's another European there. And he has, a, has to have a good old think about what he wants to do here. He's really unsure of his next move because um, he realises that the Wadawurrung people, you know, while they like him, Buckley, well enough, they probably aren't going to be too thrilled about a new settlement being set up on their land. And, and so they might end up attacking or, or coming into conflict with these new settlers. And, and he really doesn't want to be part of that. He's, again, quite a peaceful bloke when it comes to uh, comes to conflict between uh, between humans. Like, obviously, given the ruse a, a bit of a hard time at the end of his spear. But between, uh, between people, he's not too keen on people fighting there. So he doesn't want to be involved in that. But... He wrote later about how there was this this part of him that that was very much wanted to go back to living with set living you know the European life back with settlers back with people that uh, you know he he left behind all these years ago, but again there's another part of him that's very happy happy living you know kicking about with the Wadawurrung and having a good time there living uh, living as one of these tribe people, but ultimately. However, Buckley decides to go back with the group that spotted the uh, the Europeans and to have a chat with whoever had landed there. Now, as it turned out, you know, they, he goes back and he he, he emerges and, and and talks to these people and and the people who were there uh, was uh, there was a small camp that had been left behind by a bloke named and this is not a joke a bloke whose name is or was John Batman. Spelt exactly like the Cape Crusader, exactly like the superhero, B-A-T-M-A-N, Batman, right? Pronounced Batman, not Batman, but still, John Batman. 
Now, John Batman is an, an interesting uh, and, and quite divisive bloke in Australian history. He actually might be worth an episode of his own one day, but, uh, but I'll give you the sort of the bare bones of what he was about here. He was, uh, he was born up in Sydney in 1801, up in Parramatta, um, and uh, when he meets Buckley, he's working as part of the Port Phillip Association in order to settle the area that would, uh, would then go on to become Melbourne. He'd worked as a, you know, as a farmer, as a grazier, and he was interested in, in, in becoming uh, you know, more, more involved in, in the settlement of, uh, of, of the colonies in Australia, that sort of stuff. So uh, his latest his latest endeavour uh, was, again, setting up shop uh, inside Port Phillip Bay somewhere as part of the Port Phillip Association. And, and, and as I say, he's generally known as, as, as the founder of Melbourne. Uh, and that means that uh, all, sort of interesting, all, all sorts of things in Melbourne, right, are actually named after him. Not too far from where I grew up, there's a park that, uh, that was called Batman Park. Um, obviously, I read it as Batman Park, and I was very confused as a kid because, as we all know, that you know Batman lives in Gotham City, not in Melbourne. So I didn't know what he was doing hanging about this park. But um, one very interesting thing about Batman as well was his negotiation as part of this settlement process of the Port Phillip area. One of one of the things that happened here, his negotiation negotiation of what has become known today as Batman's Treaty. Now. We're heading into choppy waters here, and I don't want to get too deeply involved in it, uh, because obviously all the issues surrounding the traditional ownership of Australian land and the way that it was claimed for Britain and colonised and all the rest of it, despite being you know lived in by all the uh, all the Aboriginal people at the time there like that, is very controversial even today, and I'm not smart enough to understand the political ins and outs of it all, but I can tell you this, even with all that, and irrespective of your take on the British colonisation of Australia, John Batman did something that no other European settler did in Australia before or since. He was the first and only person to do this right? Batman actually negotiated with the local Aboriginal people for the perf- for the purchase of land to establish Melbourne as a settlement. He signed a treaty with the Wurundjeri elders in 1835. They gave him possession of 600,000 acres of land that would go on to become the city and the suburbs of Melbourne in exchange for 40 pairs of blankets, 42 tomahawks, 130 knives, 62 pairs of scissors, 40 mirrors, 250 handkerchiefs, 18 shirts, four flannel jackets, four suits of clothes, and 70 kilograms of flour. Now, in exchange for 600,000 acres of land, pretty rubbish deal for the Aboriginals, who it's thought today didn't fully understand the nature of the transaction, the purchase that was going on. It's not very difficult to characterise this uh, this whole deal as as pretty bloody exploitative there. No, so not the greatest move from a historical perspective there. But all the same, again, it's the only recorded instance of European settlers actually negotiating with Aboriginals in Australia over land ownership rather than just outright claiming it. And, uh, you know, that's you can make of that what you will. There are certainly people who think it's, uh, it's it, you know, it's very historically important. I don't think you can argue too bad, too hard against that. But uh, as it turns out, the treaty, unfortunately, was voided. It was voided by the colonial government who just claimed the land anyway, irrespective of the treaty and, you know, didn't even bother asking. So that's the way that it went there. Anyway. This bloke, John uh, John Batman, right, he's just concluded the negotiations and he's sailing back down to Van Diemen's land. Uh, but he's left a small party there at what would uh, become indented head on, uh, on, the Ballar- on the Ballerine Peninsula. There are three European blokes and five Aboriginal people there who are, who are there to help to, you know, chat with the locals. And they all, all, all these eight blokes, they get, a, the, they get the fright of their lives when this enormous muscular giant walks out of the bushes dressed in animal skins and carrying great big bloody spears. By now, Buckley has seen, he's got a great big beard. He's ripped his hell after living with the Wadawarring. And so he would have been quite a sight. He would have been an absolute wild man walking out of the uh, walking out of the bushes like this and coming after them. Anyway, Batman's men, they actually take him in. They're very nice to him. They have a chat to him. They offer him food and listen to his story. And, and Buckley, actually, quite interesting, he initially, he, he lies to them, straight up lies. He says that he was a shipwrecked sailor uh, because he doesn't want to be punished as an escaped convict, never mind that he escaped, you know, 32 years ago. Um, 
But before long, he actually comes around. He tells them the truth, and they are just bloody gobsmacked, mate. As you might imagine. I mean, you imagine this. Just imagine this. You're there. You, you know, you, you may be thinking about setting up a camp. You may be going to go and do some scouting, whatever else. All of a sudden, this two-meter-tall bloke with a, a beard that's three feet long walks out of the big bloody muscles like that. Spears. He's dressed in skins, whatever else. He comes. He says, "Oh, good day, fellas. How you going? You know, I haven't spoken to a European for thirty odd years. I mean, it'll be it'll be an incredible thing. Anyway." One thing they do notice, one thing they figure out very quickly about this whole this whole situation with uh, with with Buckley, Batman's men they quickly realise how useful Buckley might be to them when trying to negotiate and chat with the locals. All the Wadawurrung people, obviously, he's intimately acquainted with all of them. They're like that, so they convince him to leave the Wadawurrung behind and actually come and work for them as settlers. And Buckley. He does this, and there's never been a clear idea as to why. Even the biographies that he himself, you know, helped to put together, he never really explains what made him decide to leave the Wadawurrung people and behind and, and return to European life. He gives some indication about, you know, a, a deep-seated homesickness and all that sort of stuff, but he never really explained or discussed his full reasoning for as to why he left. But leave he did, and that's it's exactly what he ends up doing. He gets an official pardon from the governor of Van Diemen's Land for escaping all those years ago, and he ends up on a fifty-pound salary, which isn't too shabby in those days, as a as a government translator and guide for the people who were trying to set up shop there in the in this little town of Melbourne, a little village that would would go on to become Melbourne. Obviously, today greatest city on earth, but in those days, very very small little outpost in the arse end of the world, and. Um, uh, about, you know, led by Batman as well. He's there setting up shop and doing whatever else. And uh, under ba- under Batman's leadership, the town begins to flourish. And Buckley has a hand in this too. He, uh, he he's going around. He's negotiating, chatting with the locals, and 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 trying to keep things all friendly and all that sort of stuff. And he's going around with people uh, like Foster Fines and Joseph Gellibrand. And uh, at one point, while they're off traveling around in the Wadawurrung lands. Uh, they actually ran into some of Buckley's old mates. And rather than explain to you what happened, I'm, I'm just going to use the words of Gellibrand here, who was one of the explorers, one of the settlers that uh, that was kicking about at the time here. Gellibrand wrote about this, uh, this situation in his diary, and here's what he had to say. This is verbatim. So <clears throat> here. Buckley made towards a native well, and after he had rode about eight miles, we heard a cooey. And when we arrived at the spot, I witnessed one of the most pleasing and affecting sights. There were three men, five women, and about 12 children. Buckley had dismounted, and they were all clinging around him and tears of joy and delight running down their cheeks. It was truly an affecting sight and proved the affection which these people entertained for Buckley. Amongst the number were a little old man and an old woman, one of his wives. Buckley told me that this was his old friend with whom he had lived and associated 30 years. However... And despite his interaction with the Wadawurrung people throughout his, his career as a, as a translator and as a guide, he, he's, him doing this work, it didn't last. It wasn't for him. He hung about in and around Melbourne for a while doing this sort of work. But you know, he also worked here and there as a, as a labourer and, uh, and a builder. So obviously that, that apprenticeship back in, uh, in Cheshire came in handy after all. Um, he helped to build uh, John Batman's house up on the hill where that now has one of Melbourne's main train stations, Southern Cross, uh, Southern Cross Station up there on, uh, on the hill there. But it doesn't, obviously the house isn't there anymore. But but he helped to build it all the same. But it seems like uh, he, he he got more and more unhappy with his whole situation here. He's kind of lost. He's kind of stuck between two worlds here. He actually, you know, again, we can sort of quote him here and what was written in one of his biographies about this whole situation. This is what he had to say. He said, <clears throat> When I reflected on the suspicion with which I was viewed by the most influential white men and on the probable doubt the natives would entertain in my sincerity after having left them, I thought it would be best to retire to Van Diemen's land. 
So in 1837, 35 years after the settlement in Sullivan's Bay had threatened to take him down to Tasmania, he finally headed down there of his own accord, moving to Van Diemen's Land towards the end of the year. And of course, look, this makes a lot of sense. This is what old people do in Australia. They move to Tasmania and he's just, you know, he was well ahead of the curve there like that. So... I'm very pleased to say, I'm very, very chuffed to say that at this point, after having moved down to Van Diemen's Land, well, in, you know, what he's in his 50s now at this stage when he does this, he moves to Van Diemen's Land and he lives happily ever after, which I think is, a, you know, a very, a very, a very pleasing end to this story there. He married a woman called Julia Eagers a couple of years later in 1840, who, uh, <laughs> I quite like this, was apparently so short that she couldn't even reach his arm while they were walking about together. He, have to, he used to have to loop a hanky around his arm like a little sling for her to put her arm in, you know, so they, so they could walk around in proper fashion there like that. But, um, you know, I guess quite sadly, he, he never saw the Wadawurrung people again. He, he lived out his days quietly and contentedly near Hobart. He worked in a couple of different jobs here and there around the town, doing all sorts of little different things. But uh, after one of the most unique life experiences you can imagine, William Buckley finally died. Uh, in his mid-70s, in 1856, after falling out of a cart. And that was the end of William Buckley. Although, not in every sense, because even today, Australians say his name a lot more than they might realise. As I said at the beginning of the episode, it's thought that the phrase, you've got Buckley's chance, is based on the life of William Buckley. Telling someone that they've got Buckley's chance is essentially saying they've got you know, no chance or extremely small chance at, uh, at something. And, and it's because Buckley's chances of survival after going bush like he did were so extremely low. I mean, what are the odds of, 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 of you know, the Buckley end up going and surviving, having the life that he did? But he did survive. He did manage to make it through, you know, 30 years as an honorary Aboriginal. He still managed after that to return to European life and live happily ever after. So, so, maybe having Buckley's chance isn't such a bad thing after all. But that's it. That's all she wrote today, sports fans. That's the story of William Buckley, the escaped convict. And uh, very interesting to, to find out the background of the saying, you've got Buckley's chance. And uh, always, always a pleasure to have a little bit of Australian history on Half-Assed History. I, I do very much enjoy it. So if you've got ideas for topics, I do want to hear them. I've got a long list that I'm sort of trying to work through, and some of them are quite complicated and, you know, in-depth. So I get very lazy and I put them off. But, you know, I, I'll work through them eventually. But if you want to add to the list... Jump on the website, halfhousehistory.net. It's there. You'll find a contact form. You can send me through an email or what have you with a bit of, uh, you know, a couple of ideas or feedback or whatever else. And I've still got stickers to send out to people. I'm getting on top of that, you know, eventually as well. Very lazy, as I say. But uh, if you want stickers free of charge, I'll send them to you. You just need to send me your address. Thank you so much to all the people who are corresponding. And, of course, uh, uh, patrons. Got a couple of new patrons uh, who have just uh, started chucking money at me. And I can't I can't say how much it means to me. So thank you so much to, uh, to members of the Patreon, new and old alike. Uh, but that's it. That's enough uh, enough boring rubbish from me. Uh, we're going to close out the show as usual with a, uh, a question posed on Reddit. We've got a science question this time around. We often dip into the old science category there. Uh, and we've got a, a science question to do with Australia. Of course, we've got a lot of chat about Australia today. And, uh, and it's Reddit scientist Power Scunner who wants to know, why doesn't Australia have a space program when they could simply let their rockets go and they just fall into space?